listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Rebecca, welcome to Miscarriage Stories. I'm so thankful that you're here. Um, I'm sad to hear your story of loss, but I'm also so thankful that you're you're sharing your voice. The day that this goes live is the due date of the baby that we're going to hear about today. Um, so September 26th, if anybody is listening, that way they kind of know the importance of me putting it out on a random Tuesday. Um, I'd love to just hear your story from the beginning, wherever you feel like it starts. Yeah. So um, September 26th is the due date. So right around right now is, you know, challenging for my husband and I, but um, so our, we are newly married. So we are, we got married in July um, of last year. And so we were, a little bit over um, our first year of marriage or coming up on it and uh, this past summer. And we had originally talked about not really trying to have any children for the next four years because we're both in grad school. Um, And then one day I woke up and decided that I wanted a baby. (laughs) And so we got on team baby and we decided to start trying and uh, it happened a lot quicker than we anticipated. It actually happened first time around. So we were very lucky um, in that sense of fertility. Um, And so we got pregnant in December and we found out about um, our baby and her name is Hadley. It's just easier for me to use her name throughout. Um, And so we found out about our baby girl Hadley um, in January and we were super excited, very nervous, like typical new parents, didn't expect it to happen as quickly. Um, And so we got through about the first trimester with everything going pretty smoothly we had our first ultrasound, first couple OB appointments, everything was good. Um, and then we were scheduled for our nuchal translucency ultrasound. So um, basically when they check the fluid in the back of the baby's neck, and this helps to determine whether or not there's any like possible genetic abnormalities and things like that, which is kind of what we were told going into the ultrasound. Um, and we'd had blood work done um, to determine uh, if she had had any markers ahead of time. And so she didn't. So she actually cleared the, um, genetic blood work in the beginning. Um, and so we going into this appointment had no reason to be like concerned. Like we were like, okay, great. Like she's healthy. Everything's good to go. Um, and so we went in for our ultrasound and, um, the technicians were lovely and the ultrasound was beautiful. She was moving around a lot, kicking. My husband and I were smiling. And um, so finished everything. Ultrasound tech printed out our pictures and said, okay, like the doctor's going to come in um, in a couple minutes and just walk you through like everything that we looked at today. And so doctor comes in and I think it was just a motherly instinct. Um, when the doctor walked in, I knew that something wasn't right. And uh, she sat down and um, she started talking about what they looked at and, you know, how they measured the fluid. And she started talking about typically she looks from anywhere from one to two millimeters of uh, fluid. And uh, she had a look on her face. And then she said, I'm going to pull up your baby's ultrasound. 
And I looked at my husband and we kind of both started to quietly panic. And uh, as she pulled it up, um, she pointed out that Hadley had 6.75 millimeters of fluids behind her neck. Um, and she said that was very abnormal. Um, and so she walked us through that, what basically that it meant, you know, there were some concerns and it was higher than normal. She um, used the term cystic hygroma um, and explained that if it's a certain size, it becomes a cystic hygroma. Um, and so she basically said, you know, your options are moving forward with nothing, like if you don't want to do anything. Um, but she recommended that we proceed with a CVS procedure, um, which I was nervous about because they explained all the different ways that it can be done transvaginally or through your abdomen. And so my husband and I did decide to move forward with going through that procedure. And so they got us in pretty quickly. Um, and we came back a couple of days later and we did the CVS procedure and um, they said, you know, in a, about a week or so or two weeks, you know, you should get it back. Um, unfortunately, it was a difficult procedure for me. Um, I have a tilted uterus. And so the speculum and all the things just were not going the way the doctors wanted it to. So the sample size was really small. Um, and so our genetic counselor ended up calling us couple of days later and saying, just so you know, this is going to take a little bit longer than they told you because your sample was so small. Um, and so in the meantime, we were referred out to uh, an advanced fetal care center where we had to go and have like her heart looked at. Um, and then they found some things with her lymphatic system. Um, and they basically said, you know, right now, there are some things, but there's nothing that's super alarming. You just need to wait until you get your procedure results back. And so we ended up waiting a month <laughs> to get our CVS results back. And so um, when we found out about her cystic hygroma in the back of her neck, I was about 13 weeks and we didn't get any confirmation of any results until about 13 or, or um, not 13, 16 or 17 weeks. And so we went for a really long time, you know, going to a couple appointments, having the fluid decrease in the back of her neck and saying, you know, everything else is looking good as you progress, but you still need to wait for your results. And so um, I happened to get the results that came through. And unfortunately, my husband and I were not home together at the same time when I got the results that came through on the portal. And uh, I learned very quickly that results typically come through before your practitioner calls you, at least in my case. Um, and so that was a little difficult because I opened the file and the first word that I saw on the file was terminal. Um, and so that was really difficult to like read that diagnosis right off the front of paperwork and to have nobody to really talk about it with. And so um I emailed my genetic counselor and she ended up calling us and we had like a pretty quick zoom later that night. And basically we found out that um, as they went in at more of a micro level, they found a duplication on her 22nd chromosome, which was at the time less of a concern. Um, they also additionally found a um, deletion. So she was missing portions of her chromosome on her 13th. And that was the really big concern for them. Um, and so she immediately scheduled us with a genetic uh, professional, um, somebody who uh, works with babies who have this 13Q deletion. And so a couple of days later, which we were thankful that everything happened very quickly at this point, because we were unfortunately 
my genetic counselor was like, you're in like a time lock here. Like you're already in your second trimester. Um, and as things progress, it's going to get more difficult. And so we had a zoom and they basically talked to us about like what it meant, went through all of the technical terms of chromosomes and, and all of that stuff. And basically I looked at the doctor and said, you know, what is quality of life? And um, because that's really what my husband and I are concerned about. I said, what's the likelihood that there's still quality of life for our kid? Um, and she basically informed us that um, with her size of deletion that she anticipated uh, Hadley to have severe physical abnormalities, um, severe intellectual disability. She basically said she did not anticipate her to talk. She was concerned about her possibly walking in the future. Um, she said most, you know, likely we would get communication through facial expressions. Um, she probably would never speak, um, and be able to kind of have any type of communication with us. Um, and so at that point, my husband and I, you know, knew what we wanted to do. Um, and they brought up termination. Um, and that was a really difficult conversation. And of course I cried the whole time, um, and so our genetic counselor walked us through those options. And um, I originally wanted to labor after hearing whether I could do a DNA procedure or I could labor and I chose to labor. Um, and then a couple of days later, my genetic counselor called and basically said that the nurses were concerned because I was so far along. Um, I was 18 weeks already and, um, but I wasn't far enough along to comfortably labor for a short amount of time. And so they were very nervous um, for me and my health and said, she can still labor if she wants, but it's gonna be a long process. It could take several days to get her to where we need her to get to. Um, and so my husband and I had a long, conversation afterwards and we decided that we were just going to go ahead with the DNA procedure um, and so we were able to kind of find ways to say goodbye on our own uh, my husband and I are both kind of not religious but a little spiritual and so we spent some time together and wrote her some letters and did some things and uh, honestly I think the week leading up to the procedure was the worst week of my life because um, in a lot of stories that I've heard and a lot of um, you know, just communication I've had with other people who have had later pregnancy loss. Um, you just kind of walk around, and you feel like a ticking time bomb. Um, you feel like very ashamed, almost of your belly, and you don't want to show it off, but you want to show it off for the honor of your child. And you don't want to skimp your kid, but you're in pain. Um, and so balancing that was really difficult. Um, and then we had our DNA procedure on April 27th. And um, unfortunately, again, um, because of my tilted uterus and I um, already take antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And so they, the nurses suspected that my tolerance to the pain medication they gave me was a little bit higher. And so I was more alert than a typical patient would have been for that procedure. And so I think that's like another reason why I chose to kind of do this podcast and have a conversation with you because... Um, I know that's like a really hard thing to come out and share publicly that you've had a very traumatizing and triggering procedure. Um, and, you know, I had wonderful medical care. Everybody was great, but it was just one of those situations where 
you know, there were just things that I felt and heard and saw that I didn't want to experience. And um, I've dealt with my own like triggers and PTSD, like following the procedure and things like that. Um, so it was just, it was pretty, it was pretty terrible. <laughs> um, but we got through that day and they were able to send us home with like a memorial box. And so they did some footprints. Um, they're beautiful. I actually, in her honor, got them tattooed on my wrist. Um, so I can carry her around with me all the time. Um, and so that's just something really nice for me to look at and remind me of her on a daily basis. And, um, we did end up moving forward and deciding to, with the support of our, our parents, um, cremating her remains. And so we went through a funeral home, um, who was wonderful. Um, and we cremated her remains and she came home within about a week or two of the procedure. Um, and I think that's been very comforting for my husband and I to have her in our space um, and to have her with us. Um, I never really was somebody that was interested interested in having remains of like a loved one in my house, um, but I'd never really honestly experienced loss before this. This was probably my first big loss in my life. And so that really reframed my idea of loss and grief and having her in the house with us and, and processing all of this at one time. Um, and then about a month, after we had the procedure, we found out we were expecting again. <laughs> um, and so we got very lucky again, uh, fertility wise, um, very much a surprise. Um, I really think that too, I had a very powerful conversation with a doctor that I ended up sharing that we um, were expecting again. And she said, you know, don't feel ashamed that you did it so quickly. And she was very honest and said, you know, sex heals in, in times like this for some people. And my husband and I found that that was accurate for us, but also I know that there are people out there that, that it's not healing at all and they need time. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to feel going into it. I kind of expected my husband to not really be interested in, in trying to have another baby um, so soon, but he actually surprised me and, and he was. And so we got very lucky um, everything has been absolutely beautiful so far. We went through some of the similar procedures to double check and just make sure everything's okay. Um, because we did actually find out that the duplication, um, that Hadley had came from my husband. And so he had this and had no idea his whole life. Um, and so we had to do some procedures to make sure, um, our new baby, um, either had it or didn't and kind of how to proceed forward. Um, and he is genetically beautiful. Um, we found out he was a boy um, as everything came back. We're naming him Leo. Um, and we've had some pretty cool spiritual like signs we feel like from our experience with Hadley that kind of helped us grieve and process this new pregnancy and um, we were driving to a concert actually in New York and we passed through a little town. It was a little historical town um, and butterflies are really big for me and my pregnancy loss and pink florals. And so there was a beautiful um, mural underneath this tiny little bridge in this historical town. And then the town's name was Leona and we were considering Leo. And so we just knew. Um, and then we ended up finding out that night, the gender at the concert we went to. And so I think that it was just, it's been full circle. Um, it's been challenging being pregnant after loss because I think it's hard to want to believe that everything's okay 
um, and trusting your gut and knowing that everything feels okay, but you know that anything could go wrong at any time because of these awful experiences that you've had in the past. And so um, it was just really important for me to come on and share my story because I've listened to a couple other stories through your podcast and um, they were very similar to mine. And I often think about the likelihood of somebody having a baby with a 13Q deletion. Like I'd never heard of that before I got pregnant. Um, and so I wanted to find anybody out there like with that diagnosis for their child or anything similar to just hear that they're not alone um, because I needed that when I was grieving. And so it's really nice that you have this space to be able to, to come on and, and share. Um, and again, it's very therapeutic for me right now because her due date is coming up on Tuesday. And so I think going back and just kind of honoring her in this way and being able to share her story kind of not one last time, but one last time before her due date and as we progress forward in our current pregnancy. Um, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the start to finish story for us. Well, and I, I appreciate you sharing your story so openly. You mentioned, um, you mentioned after you got pregnant for the second time that your doctor was like, don't be ashamed or anything of getting pregnant, um, soon after. And I feel like there's a lot of shame with a lot of aspects of your loss, because I know people in the community where they have terminal diagnoses and they have to make these difficult decisions. They often don't know where they fit in, in the miscarriage community. If it's a miscarriage, a stillbirth, termination for medical reasons. And it's like, there's so many terms that you yes. almost feel like you don't know where to turn. And so I'm, I'm sadly so happy that you had found an episode, at least one episode that you were like, okay, this is similar. This is something that I can relate to. Um, because even though you know, your diagnosis is unique to you. Unfortunately, so many people go through a loss like this and they feel so isolated and they feel so shameful of these really difficult decisions um, that yeah. aren't really decisions because you don't really have a lot of options and every option is the same outcome. It's terrible. Well, and I think it's important too. I like that you mentioned that you know, there's so many terms. And I remember talking with friends and, and family and my husband and just saying, you know, miscarriage was the term that I would often use very early on. And I kept saying in private, because we haven't actually publicly shared specifically our story and what her diagnosis was. And so I kept telling my husband, it it's not a miscarriage. Like, that's not what happened to us. Like, I didn't choose. I mean, I didn't choose to have her have the diagnosis that she did, but like, I didn't, she didn't just pass on her own. Like we had to come to that really awful decision on our own. And so, you know, when I share my story, you know, casually or with a friend or, you know, somebody who's gone through, it, it's like, Oh, I'm so sorry for your miscarriage. And it's, it really, you know, for me, it doesn't feel like that. It felt like a, a, a choice, you know, like I felt like I had to, to do that. And so you know, but then again, it's just a mouthful to be like, well, we had like a, you know, an abortion for a terminal diagnosis. And I think that there's so much stigma around the term abortion. And so I think that's really difficult as well. And so that was another, you know, really appealing reason to, to share, because I think I, I one day hope that there's not so much aggression and, and judgment around the term abortion, especially for medical reasons. Um, and again, like you said, like so much, there's so much shame. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to yeah. process your grief at the same time that you're dealing with all of that shame from the outside world. 
And it's, it's really heavy, especially in today's world. Um, because I think that sometimes people think of abortion as like this just terrible act that somebody does upon their child when it's a medical procedure and a lot of miscarriages are actually treated, uh, at, with the same procedures as abortions. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's coded that way. And so there's the stigma doesn't make any sense when we break no. it down. Um, but it is also, I, I always call it, you know, whenever we call it a decision or a choice, I more so call it a compassionate choice. Um, I mean, I, as a mom to living children, I can imagine hearing that their quality of life would be horrible, painful, unknown, you know, all of these things and wonder if that's what I would want for them. That's such a difficult position to be in. And I don't think that there is necessarily a right or wrong it's just unfortunately it's the mother instinct like you said of like you just want to protect that child and you don't want that child to feel pain you don't want that child to be burdened by this genetic factor Um, one my husband and I both come our background is is special education and so you know knowing you know children that we've worked with and you know the doctors also explained to us that um, a lot of families with this 13Q deletion diagnosis don't find out until the baby's here. Wow. And so we kind of had a, a processing moment alone, like within ourselves of, you know, this is a choice for us. And we, we have, I love how you worded it as a compassionate choice. And we have that option to be compassionate for our child because, you know, I've had the experiences with children who just can't, communicate like they just Mm. and and it's and it's just not their you know it's just not their fault and and I told my husband I said you know people who choose to like make the compassionate choice to still have their child I give them all of the grace and the love in the world because it takes a very special person Um, but we just knew that you know for us in our life and the way we wanted our child to grow up and that life we wanted for Hadley was not a life of not being able to communicate with us and we knew that forever it would be long-term care and you know on one of us and that was I'm sure going to be very strainful for our marriage and there were so many things that went into this very compassionate choice um and I don't think anybody really like thinks about that when they're on the outside of like how much information floods at you at one time yeah I mean even just alone hearing your doctor mention terminal or termination like that alone is traumatic within itself of having to have those conversations especially with you sharing about how that ultrasound went where you were like everything seemed to look good every the mood felt fine until the doctor walked in you know and and kind of having like a a breath of fresh air and then that being taken from you um but also having to wait I see that a lot where it's like people have um they have to do the CVS and it's it's a month to six weeks. Like it's crazy wait times. And then it's like, that's so much more on your body to have to like continue to be pregnant and not know what the hell is happening. Like that just yep. cruel. It, it feels like you're walking around with like a tombstone um, hanging yes. over your head and it it's heavy. It's so heavy. And I think it got hard too, because I got to the point where, you know, I, I was showing and it wasn't super obvious, um, you know, but it was enough that, you know, people who paid enough attention 
would recognize that I, you know, had a little bit of a baby belly and this time around it's even bigger. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but, um, you know, and so I was showing at that point and that was difficult because, you know, Oh, like congratulations. And, and, and you're like, thanks. And, and it's like, you just don't know what to say in that moment because you know, the stranger passing you on the street or in the grocery store, like you don't need to be like, well, actually like you're, yeah. you know, and so it's very, there's no good way to deal with it, I think. Um, and I've, I've worked on my, in my own therapeutic sessions and, you know, working through this whole experience of grief and things like that on just how to handle that. Um, I recently had somebody just the other day at the gym, um, notice my pregnant belly now. And she said, Oh, is this your first child? Because it's your first baby. And I didn't know how to answer. And my first answer was like, yes. And then I told my husband, I came home and I said, I felt immense guilt Mm. in that moment for saying yes. And I ended up backtracking because she was like, oh, well, the second pregnancy, if you choose to have another will be easier. And, you know, they just, and and it's no one's fault. They just have no idea. And, And then of course it's not like talked about. And so then it's, you know, I'm, I'm a very open person. So then I'm honest. I'm like, well, actually like, this isn't my, you know, this is my first baby. That's going to be like Earthside, you know, but this isn't my first pregnancy. And she goes, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then the mood changes. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that nobody knows what to do. And nobody knows then how to progress in the conversation. And that's awkward. (laughs) And that sucks. It's, uh, it's horrible. And I think that it takes like some desensitization, like to making other people uncomfortable because I now five years into doing this work and having my losses and stuff, I don't even feel the discomfort in a conversation shift like that anymore. But I used to like sweat and like not want to make other people uncomfortable. But you do you kind of when somebody asks if this is your first and it's like, well, is it my first what? Is it my first pregnancy? No. Is it the first child I'm hopeful to bring home from the hospital? Yes. But then it's like you're rambling and you just, you want to honor everybody, but you don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Um, I always tell people that if you in that moment say yes, you know, that is just, not everybody deserves to know your story. Not everybody deserves to have that in that moment. You have to be in a specific headspace to share these deep, hard things that you've been in. So if you say yes in that moment, you know, maybe whenever you go to your car or you're alone, you just take a moment and you recognize like, you know, that I see you Hadley. I know that you exist and you're my first baby. And, you know, just kind of like forgive yourself and, you know, um, it's not really lying unless, I mean, th- that person doesn't deserve to know Hadley. My, you know it's I so mean? funny you say that because my husband very much trained it the same way. Mm-hmm. He, you know, I kind of came home and he goes, well, like, like, why do you care? Like about like the random person in the gym? <laughs> that was so easy to sometimes to be a man. <laughs> yeah, literally. And I was like, you know, it's it's just it's just hard. And and he very much framed it that way. He was like, you know, it just depends on who you want yeah. to know your story and how open you want to be, you know, in that moment. And he said, you know, he did remind me of the you know gentle and honest truth that he said at some point, you know, Leo is going to surpass Hadley. And this is going to be your first 20 weeks or your first, you know, 30 weeks. And he said, you know, I'm not trying to be desensitive to you. But he said, you know, at some point when somebody says, Oh, is this your first pregnancy? Well, at some point, it's not your first pregnancy, but it's your first milestone in this stage. Um, And, 
and he's great. He's, he truly has been wonderful. I could not ask for a better partner, um, which I think has also really helped throughout this process because I know that there's a lot of people that go through pregnancy loss that are completely alone. Um, and that breaks my heart. And so that was another reason why I wanted to come on here because it's just, you know, if somebody doesn't have support at home and is just looking for something, you know, or some way to be heard, um, it, it's just, it's very lonely. Even when you have a partner, even when you have a supportive family, it's still very lonely. And so I'm very grateful that I, I have all of my family and my husband. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, welcome to the club of just wanting like at least one person to feel less alone because that's why yes. I do literally everything I do. If I, I always say if one person is positively impacted, then anything is worth doing. Um, well, you did your job because I was positively impacted when I listened well, to good. your first, the first episode. <laughs> so, and then here I am. So, well, and it's funny because you said you follow on Instagram and didn't realize the two were related. And that's just because I'm not good at marketing that they're the same thing. <laughs> so uh, there fair. could be people who have absolutely no idea that uh, I am the miscarriage tool on Instagram. And so I need to be a little bit better and clearer about that. Well, but- I think I figured it out based on uh there's a picture of pictures. you with like greenery in the back so yes. I figured it out with pictures I was like oh my gosh like this is the same person <laughs> that's so funny well and now you're part of the club of making people feel less alone I'm so thankful that you shared Hadley's story um I'm so glad that you have reached 18 weeks and that things are going well and that you will continue to you know, navigate through this pregnancy and honor the hardships you know, along with the good things. I think um, in pregnancy after loss, it's important to remember that you can be both grateful and really sad for very similar things. They just affect you differently. And so it's, you're, I, you know, I always think whenever I talk to somebody, like I would think of Leo as your second child. I don't know if you think of it that way as well. I, that's whenever I talk to people, I'm always like, I, I would say like, well, with your second son or with your second child and um, like I think of my first living son to me, he's a third child and I, to yeah. other people that makes no sense, but to me, I'm like, oh, he's such a middle child and people just don't, <laughs> but they don't get it. <laughs> but I think it's true. I think it's, I think it's totally true. I just had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day and we were talking about just, you know, the order of children. And she said, you know, like the second is always a pistol. And I was like, yeah, I think that's why Leo's going to come out. And he's going to be like, I'm here, mom, and I'm ready to roll because I had my first baby and she is an angel. (laughs) She has been sweet from the moment that we found out about her to the present day and all of the things and beautiful signs she brings us today. So she's the angel baby. So he's going to come out a (laughs) blazing. And he's a boy and boys are, oh, they're rough, but they don't stop moving Amazing. once they start moving. (laughs) That is very true. That's super true. Um, Oh, Rebecca, thank you so much for, for coming on and for sharing of and course. for, uh, again, being so um, open to all of my scheduling conflicts, oh um, but I'm so, I'm so grateful that you're here and we're all hoping for the very best. Um, I always tell people, you can always write in an update or we can always hop on and record an update later on if you want to share. People love to hear um, okay. especially happy updates. Of course, that's yeah. interesting and, and hopeful. So you're always, I would love to, yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to to come on maybe once Leo's alive in here and yes. <laughs> functioning on, on our earth side here. Yeah. Uh, 